Thank you very much. So good to have you in our service today. Do you know that yesterday was a very important and significant day in the life of the church? But few of us even know that it exists. I'm not talking about Halloween. But yet, if the events that this day celebrates did not happen, none of us would be here at Calvary Bible Church today. If the events that this day celebrates did not happen, none of us would be here in Calvary Bible Church today. I speak, of course, of Reformation Day. Not Halloween. Reformation Day. So some of you are asking, duh. So what? What is Reformation Day? And why is it important to us? Well, let me show you some remarks from an essay posted on August the 10th, by Dan Clendenin on his site. This is what he says, and I quote, On this day in 1517, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the castle church in Wittenberg and jump-started what we now call the Protestant Reformation. That's where you got your name from as a Protestant, a protester. That was not a term of endearment. All right? It was to describe rebels from what was then regarded as a true church. The Protestant Reformation. He goes on. Global Christianity's family of two billion adherents consists primarily of three siblings that have resulted from two divorces, the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic churches separated in 1054, and then Protestants split from Catholics in 1517. Many of us are not aware of the significance of the Orthodox Church. Even today, we very rarely speak about it or talk about it. But that is one of the three major religions in the world today, the Orthodox Church. Today, there are roughly 1.1 billion Catholics, actually it should be Roman Catholics, and I'll explain that in a moment, worldwide. 346 million of you people, Protestants. Now, I'm sure there may be some Roman Catholics here as well. And if you're here, we welcome you, of course. We thank God for you and but we are speaking about the significance of this day. So today, there are roughly 1.1 billion Catholics worldwide, 346 million Protestants, and 216 million Orthodox Christians. But there's more to the Christian family than that, thanks to the proceed, in particular, to what the Reformation wrought. Now, this has specific reference to the findings of David Barrett, the editor of the World Christian Encyclopedia, who puts all this data together. In 2001, the latest one, I think it was the latest one, 
He has documented the explosion of what he calls neo-apostolic movements around the world. These neo-apostolic movements are different from the regular run-of-the-mill Protestant. They number about 400 million in over 20,000 movements. That's another name for splits or small groups. These are individuals who have rejected historical denominationalism and the restrictive or overbearing central authority, the small groups. But the point is, all of these individuals are apart from the Roman Catholic Church. And the reason why they are in existence is because of what happened on this date, or yesterday's date in 1517, by Martin Luther, that started what we call, again, that is the over-broad brush, the Protestant Reformation. The trust of all of this is this. All of the people on earth who call themselves Christians, who are not part of the Roman Catholic Church, have come into existence, humanly speaking, because of what historians call the Protestant Reformation that was started on this day when Martin Luther, a then priest of the Roman Catholic Church, nailed his 95 biblical opposition reasons against the Roman Catholic Church. So let me repeat this because I'm glad this came along because I've been waiting for a long opportunity to be able to deal with this stuff, this kind of information with us here at Calvary Bible Church because sometimes when we don't understand our roots, we go all over the place. So it is on this day, 492 years ago, that the man who is credited with starting this reformation, Martin Luther, publicly challenged the declared supremacy of the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church by nailing his 95 theses or biblical arguments, questioning that claim. Now, you listen to that and you might say, well, so what? Well, David facing Goliath was really nothing compared to this bold, courageous, and some would say foolhardy action by this monk. The ensuring results of this action changed the history, not only of the Western world, but of the entire world. And we're still feeling its repercussions today. Here again is how Clendenin describes it in his article that I read previously. Quote, the original Reformation was many different and complex things. It radically altered every sector of European society, church, culture, politics, economics, universities, governments, education, and the everyday lives of ordinary people, end of quote. That's what Reformation Day is all about. Did you even think about it? I didn't until I was preparing my message and realized what the day was. But to localize this, to bring it home, humanly speaking, 
As I said earlier, you would not be sitting here in Calvary Bible Church if Martin Luther hadn't done what he did then. And if he didn't stick with what he did, what he started to the very end, you would not be here today in this gathering. You owe your freedom to read, study, and interpret the Bible personally the modern Luther. That's right. Bible studies, personally reading the scriptures, and all of that you owe, humanly speaking, the modern Luther. But do we ever think about that? When Martin Luther was asked to recant what he had written and said about the errors of the then established church, he uttered what are probably the most important words ever spoken outside the Bible. Now that's quite a claim. But these words change the world, change history from a Christian point of view. Listen to these words very carefully and remember now, in stating these words, he is facing excommunication from the church, which back then meant that he would be consigned to hell. He was facing imprisonment. He was facing even death. And he stood. And these are the words that are still ringing throughout history today. Unless I am convinced by the testimony from Scripture or by evident reason, for I confide neither in the Pope nor in the Council alone, since it is certain that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am held fast by the scriptures adduced by me, and my conscience is held captive by God's word. And I neither can nor will revoke anything, seeing it is not safe or right to act against conscience. God help me. Amen. That's when we say all hell broke loose. As far as Roman Catholicism was concerned and the claim to the infallibility of the Pope. Remember now, he is standing against the Pope. At that time, probably the most powerful person in the world, at least in the ecclesiastical world. He was supposed to be Christ's representative on earth. He was representing the church. Martin Luther was standing against Christ's representative and the church. As far as the people concerned. He was standing against the guardian of truth. And he got up and he says, the Pope is wrong. The church is wrong. To say the very least, that was quite a position to take. Where do you go for authority? The people asked. Luther replied, you go to the Bible. And whereas the established church at that time said it had authority over the Bible, or at least equal with the Bible, Luther said the Bible was the final authority. The Bible sola. The Bible alone. 
That's one of the major heritages of the Reformation. That we could stand here today and to say that my faith is based upon my interpretation of the scripture. Back then, you couldn't say my interpretation. Your faith, to be a true faith, had to be based upon the interpretation of the Pope. So every time you open your Bible, every time you go to it to seek God's direction, you should thank God for Martin Luther. Now, I'm not saying that this man was a perfect man, because if you read his life story, you would think he was a crazy man. I mean, he'd thrown ink bottles at the devil and all that kind of a stuff. But here, he was God's man for God's time, for such a time as that. But Protestants have traditionally believed that there was mass corruption in the gospel with the introduction of the sacramental system. Now when we say the gospel here, he's talking about Revelation, the Bible, the Word of God, not evangelistically speaking. All right? The Bible as a whole. In other words, when the church introduced the sacraments as a part of the things that are required for salvation, people started to feel uneasy. Martin Luther was one of them. This sacramental system moved the Roman Catholic Church as an institution toward a works-based salvation. This is the Protestant perspective now. Therefore, the church as an institution lost the true gospel and was no longer the true church. That's the reasoning of people who believe that the Bible taught that salvation came by grace through faith. Faith alone in Christ alone. And so, because the idea is that to be a true church, a representative of Christ on earth, you have to keep true to the gospel, the word of God. If you deviate from it, then you're no longer the true church. That's the concept. And so these folk were saying, hey, the established church is no longer the true church. Why? Because it's deviating from the word of God. And so Martin Luther stated that the doctrine of justification by faith, in other words, being declared by God as absolutely free from condemnation, judgment because of anything you have done, Martin Luther stated that the doctrine of justification by faith alone is the confession upon which the church stands or falls. That was his position. If you preach or teach a work-based salvation, you're no longer a representative of Jesus Christ. That's his position. And I believe that's the position of many people today. So based on his studies in the book of Romans especially, Martin Luther was struck to the very core of his being with the conviction that the just shall live by faith, sola, alone. Faith alone, in Christ alone, became Martin Luther's watchword. And it still rings true today for every Protestant who believes that the Bible is the word of God. We're not saved by what we do. We're not saved of who we are because of any status that we may have. But we're saved by placing faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ 
on the cross and being raised again by the power of God. Faith alone in Christ alone. That's the message of the word when it comes to salvation. Protestants believe that the timeline of Christianity is defined by the word of God. To the extent that people believe the true and unadulterated gospel, they are a part of the church. That's the belief. Now it's amazing how we come down to where we are today. To see how far the present Pope has gone to say that that's not necessary. All you have to do have is good intentions. It's amazing how far they've come. This infallible church have come. But we look at that at a later time. I've got a couple of diagrams here that are going to be confusing to you, but I like to confuse people. It helps you to think. These diagrams will help to explain what was going on at the time relative to the church. And just to give you an idea, I don't expect for you to grasp it immediately. Because they're not going to be out that long, but, uh, and, and so on. But it gives you some idea what we're talking about. And why I'm doing this, I want you to see how important it is for us to understand how we have the privileges we have today as Christians. The Bible, the, the opportunity to, to read and study it any time you want. We're talking about the persecuted church. Do you know there was a time when the true church actually killed people for reading the Bible? Do you know that? Actually killed them? The true church. At least claiming to be the true church. We have to see that. If you're going to be thankful to God for how he uses individuals to do his work. To bring about his purpose in the world. Let me give you the first diagram. This is what we call a Roman Catholic view of ecclesiastical or church history. By the way, these are some of the things we teach in the teleos in theology. So if you want to get a lot of it. Sign up, we begin tomorrow. Well, not begin, we continue tomorrow when we're looking at uh, humanity and sin, I think. All right, Roman Catholic view of ecclesiastical history. Now, in Roman Catholic theology, the gospel, they say, must be defined by the church, explained by the church. Why? Because they claim the church is the guardian and human provider of the truth. They would say that if there was no church, there would be no Bible. And since the church provided the Bible, they're the ones who have the authority to interpret the Bible. All right? And so they would say then that when the Greek Orthodox Church broke away from this main church at the time... In 1054, actually there were two breaks. There's one in the 500s where the uh, group broke away uh, because of what they saw as immorality in the church. But then in 1054, they saw theological error, heresy being taught, and that's when they finally broke away. So when the Greek Orthodox broke away from the established church in the 6th and then the 11th centuries, and then the Protestants broke away in the 16th century. They claimed that they had broken away from the true church. You understand what I'm saying? Because we have the truth. You've broken away from that because you deny that. 
then you are no longer part of the true church. So they don't look at the Greek Orthodox, at least originally, and the Protestants as part of the true church. Right in the Bahamas, I heard a preacher in the islands, one of the priests preaching that the Roman Catholic Church is the only true church, and all the other churches are just little things. That's all. They still believe that. But now, of course, when the Greek Orthodox and the Protestants look at the Roman Catholics, they just say they're the other way around. We who are keeping the church alive because we want the truth, you are the one who broken away. That's where the big fight is in Christendom. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's where it is. So in Roman Catholic theology, the gospel must be defined by the church since the church is a guardian of the truth. Now, remember this. Up to the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, the entire church was defined as Catholic. It simply means universal. But after these breakaways, especially the Protestant, the term Roman Catholicism came into being. And that is because they were trying to separate the Pope in Rome from Martin Luther, who was called the Pope of Germany. So in order to define who the true church was, it was the Roman, because that's with the seat of authority. Not in Germany with Martin Luther. So Roman Catholicism, the term has been in general use since the Reformation to identify the faith and practice of Christians in communion with the Pope. In fact, we are the ones, the Protestants we would claim should be the ones to be called the Catholic Church, the universal church. Because that's how it is viewed. The key point is this. In define, the defining marker of the timeline of the true church, that is the one that remains the true to the Bible or the gospel, in the Roman Catholic tradition, the church must define the gospel rather than the gospel defining church. The primary argument for this is that it is impossible to have the gospel without the church. And since the gospel comes from the church, then the Roman Catholic Church is the true one. No one could know what the gospel is, they say, unless the church defined the canon of scripture that contains in the gospel. This is where we have the development of the magisterium and the infallibility of the Pope when he speaks ex cathedra from the throne, when he speaks in the name of the vicar of Christ. He cannot make an error. Roman Catholics would interpret Peter's confession in Matthew 16 where he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church as being the justification for their position. Because according to them, Peter was the one who was given the authority over the church. And he was the first pope. He has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so in essence, the church as it has described, or rather as it has come from Peter, is given control over the gospel. That's their claim. Martin Luther confronted them on this. He denied that this is true. But at that time, their claim was that the church is the guardian of the gospel and the graces of God given through the sacraments. Therefore, the saying became, outside the church, there is no salvation. Now, I want you to understand here what's going on. It's important for us to understand. Their position is that God had given them a treasure full of grace. And they were responsible for distributing that grace to people the way they see fit. You understand? That's where the sacraments came in. All right? 
And this is where the works gospel began, not so. Martin Luther opposed this kind of teaching to the very core. But now look at the, the second diagram. This is, a, this is the Protestant view of ecclesiastical history. You see, with the Protestant church with arrow going on, they see themselves as keeping true to the gospel given by Jesus Christ at the beginning of the church. They're the ones who are restoring the church, not the Roman Catholics, because they've gone astray. They've lost the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Corruption has come in. The main point here is that the church is defined by the gospel, not the gospel by the church. In other words, it's the word of God who defines what the church is and what it is supposed to believe. You understand that? That's the core belief of the Protestant movement. Roman Catholic says, no, the magisterium tells you what to believe. We define what the church is, what it should do. Very important. The point here then is that the church is defined by the gospel according to Martin Luther and the Protestants, not the gospel by the church. This helps us to understand, by the way, why most evangelical Protestants have traditionally believed that the purpose of the church is evangelistic, to spread the gospel. That's where this idea came from. That's why so much emphasis is placed on the gospel, evangelism, because of what happened way back here with Martin Luther. Martin Luther stated that the doctrine of justification by faith alone is the confession upon which the church stands or falls. Protestants believe that the timeline of Christianity is defined by the gospel to the extent that people believe the true and unadulterated gospel, you belong to the church. In other words, you follow the scriptures as to how you become a Christian. And so Protestants believe that both the Orthodox and Roman Catholics have strayed away from the truth of the Word of God and that they are in error. Until the time of the Protestant Reformation, the entire church was defined as Catholic, which simply means universal, as I mentioned before. And I think we should still claim that name, by the way. Now, very quickly, five major truths or points emerged from the Reformation. And I'm going to use a couple of Latin words, not because they're trying to impress you, but because that's the way it's, they use them. But don't try to remember the Latin, just remember the concept. All right? The first one is sola ecclesia. Ecclesia is church. Sola is only. And notice it's sola, L-A. This has to do with the deposit of faith. Who was given the deposit of faith? The word of God. This sola ecclesia is part of what is called a dual source theory concerning the deposit of the truth, the word of God. In other words, who is responsible for holding it? There are two sources for the deposit of faith. The Bible, that's the written word. Or they call it the written tradition. Or the living tradition. The living tradition is the ongoing tradition of the church. However, they claim, the church is the primary authority for the interpretation of scripture. However, in actual practice, they're almost the same. In fact, they are the same. And sometimes you'll see that the living translation overcomes or overpowers supersedes 
the written translation, uh, the, the written uh, tradition. Let me, let me get you to understand now. By living trans tradition, it means the things that the Roman Catholic Church experience or make up as they go along. This is where we get the doctrine of Mary and all of those things that are not are in the Bible. But because it's something that came within the experience of the church, it's called living tradition. And if the Pope says that something in the living tradition is correct, it is right, then it is equal to the word of God. You understand what I'm saying? Secondly, there is what is called the prima, primary scriptura. Scripture first, scripture above. This states that the Bible takes priority over tradition. So in this dual tradition period, you have some people saying, is the Bible take authority? The other says, the living tradition is equal. The other one is called the regula fidei. That simply means tradition is scripture. This has to do with, they're, they're talking about especially the confessions. There was a time during the early part of the church when the Bible was not well read and well spread around and so on. That to be a Christian was not to say that I believe in the Bible, but rather I believe in the confessions. Because the confessions were supposed to be a true reproduction of what the Bible said. Do you understand what I'm saying? So because the ordinary people didn't have the Bible, they didn't want to ask if they believed the Bible, but whether or not they believed the traditions, the confessions. You understand what I'm saying? That's why today even some churches, they repeat some of these confessions. But I'm just trying to give you a little history here now so you can see the significance of Reformation Day. Tradition is scripture, they would claim. They reflect the orthodox teaching of scripture. And they even had anathemas at the end. If you didn't believe the statement, then you are accursed. But now remember, it wasn't the Bible. It is what they said the Bible taught. Then there was another position called sola. That's with an A. Sola scripture or scriptura. Scripture alone is the final and infallible authority. Although there may be other sources of truth. This is actually a one of the standard beliefs of most Protestants. The Bible alone, although there are other sources like creation and so on. But the Bible alone is a source and the authority for our truth. And the final one is solo scriptura. That's what an O. Do you notice that? That's when I know. This is when it says the scriptures are the only authority. In other words, you don't get truth from anything else other than the scriptures. Now, this is the position many people call, I uh, will say that the fundamentalist has. As far as they are concerned, the only thing we need to tell us anything about science, about medicine, about anything is the scripture. You see... And uh, this is why this is normally one that's approached by them. My, my point is this. Martin Luther was fighting for the authority of the word of God as the basis of faith and practice with the believer in Jesus Christ. 
That's what he's fighting. In other words, he's fighting for a lot of the, of the privileges you enjoy today as a believer in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther. Not only him, but he's representative of the group who was fighting for that. It's important for us to see how vital this is. You see. Now, let me move on a little quickly here. Because I may give you an overview of the diagram to show you what this is all about. And then we'll move on from there. Take a look at this. See on the left side, you have a high view of Scripture. Right? On the other side, you have a high view uh, of Scripture and a low view of tradition. I'm, 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 sorry, on the left side, high view of Scripture and a high view of tradition. If you look down, that'll be uh, under the heading which the Roman Catholic Church would fall under. Absolute authoritarianism. They would have this sola ecclesia, the church's primary, and, uh, and also with scripture, but they still control the scriptures as it were. Whereas over here, where you have a low view of tradition, those who say the Bible alone, they wouldn't listen to any kind of tradition. But when you come here to what we call the individual respect for authority, you see there's a sort of a middle ground that you walk on, where you say there is truth in tradition, not saving truth, but we could still benefit from it. But saving truth alone is found in the word of God. That's what this position is saying here. All right. Now, although reformers had many complaints about the Catholic Church of the 16th century, the practice of selling indulgences raised the most opposition. And I want to close with this explanation. An indulgence was a payment to the Catholic Church that purchased an exemption from punishment, that's penance, for some types of sins. Because there were penance for different types of sins. Indulgences were if you pay this money, you wouldn't have to do that. You could not get an indulgence that would excuse murder, but you could get one for many, many lesser sins. The customers were Catholic believers who feared that some sins might go unnoticed or unconfessed. So they wanted to be sure they were covered. The church based this, the Roman church at that time, on the argument that good works earn salvation. Now listen carefully. So paying money to support good works could do the same. Good works help you to earn salvation. So if I pay money for good works to be done, then I could also be given grace. And so to justify the sale of indulgences, church leaders argued that they had inherited an unlimited amount of good works from Jesus. This is where the treasure of grace comes from. And the credit for these good works could be sold to believers in the form of indulgences. You understand? God gave them a treasure chest of grace that they could sell for good works. In other words, indulgences was something like confession insurance against eternal damnation. If you purchase an indulgence, then you wouldn't go to hell if you died suddenly or forgot to confess something. And we laugh at this sometimes the day where we are. 
but we probably wouldn't be if Martin Luther hadn't nailed those theses on the door. You see? And some people have this idea themselves. There's some individuals who are afraid to death of missing the giving to the church of their tithes. Because if I don't, God is not going to bless me. That's not far different from this. Thinking that you have to pay to earn God's grace. It's the same idea. Listen to this report written by an eyewitness back in that day. This is what he said. At the time, a Dominican monk named Johann Tetzel was the great mouthpiece, commissioner, and preacher of indulgences in Germany. His preaching raised enormous amounts of money which was sent to Rome. It was particularly the case in the new mining town, St. Annaberg, where I, this is the author, Frederick Myconius, listened to him preach for two years. The claims of this uneducated and shameful monk were unbelievable. Thus he said, and please pardon this, but I'm reading it from his, his journal. Thus he said, that even if someone had slept with Christ's dear mother, the Pope had power in heaven and on earth to forgive as long as the money was put in the indulgence coffer. And if the Pope would forgive, this is an eyewitness now, and if the Pope would forgive, God also had to forgive. Notice that? He furthermore said, if they would put the money quickly into the coffer to obtain grace and indulgence, all the mountains near St. Annaberg would turn into pure silver. He claimed that the very moment the coin rang in the coffer, the soul rose up to heaven. Such a marvelous thing was his indulgence. End of quote. Now in later years, the sale of indulgences spread to include forgiveness for the sins of people who were already dead. You could pay for the sins of people who are already dead so they wouldn't stay that long. That's for you, you know that. Listen to the words again in this passage from a sermon by the same John Titzel, the monk who sold indulgences in Germany at that time. In fact, this was the guy who really prompted Martin Luther to do what he did. One part of it. Here's his sermon. Quote, Don't you hear the voices of your dead parents and other relatives crying out, Have mercy on us? For we suffer great punishment and pain. From this you could release us with a few arms. You could say a few dollars. We have created you, fed you, cared for you, and left you our temporal goods. Why do you treat us so cruelly and leave us to suffer in the flames when it takes only a little bit to save us? And that's a message from this guy, Churchill. It was this kind of spiritual abuse, both of the word of God and the people that moved Luther to nail his 95 theses to the door that eventually brought on the Protestant Reformation. And with it, the glorious message that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, and that the Bible alone is the final authority for the believer's faith and practice. I say to you again then, this is the day. 
This is a day that is worth celebrating, don't you think? For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Martha's message as well. Just as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Martin Luther was a bringer of good news of good things. That Josh shall live by faith alone. In Christ alone. That's what Martin Luther did. And he was willing to proclaim that the just shall live by faith to bring good news of good things to the world. And so I say to you again, that if there's any day that is worth celebrating, it is Reformation Day. And I'm going to be encouraging perhaps even our young people that rather than celebrating Halloween, they celebrate Reformation Day. So I say to you again, listen to the words of this man who changed the course of history and has given us the Christian freedoms that we have today to enjoy the word of God for what it is. Martin Luther. Read it with me, please. Unless... A little louder. I trust that God will give us the same backbone, spiritual background and conviction in the word of God that will enable us to stand for the truth in these days in which we live. Amen? Amen.